knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey guys, I just want to get on here real quick before we started this episode. This episode, uh, these next two, are one of the most intriguing podcasts I've ever done in this genre of podcast. As far as patterning and talking about shotgun shells and everything, this this is incredible. Um, Mr. Jim Moeller is an incredible guy, insanely smart. And uh, I really appreciate his time coming on. He's going to be coming on again. We're going to record a couple more episodes. But just wanted to let you know at the beginning of this episode that there is going to be two parts. So don't worry. When you get to the end of this epi- this first episode, don't freak out because it's going to cut off probably randomly. So that way you guys aren't messaging me like, hey, something got messed up. It's not messed up. I'm just, it's, it was a really long session and I'm going to split it up in two. So one's dropping today when you're listening to this and then the next one's going to drop in a couple days afterwards. So just be prepared. I won't make you wait too long. This one dropped on Monday. The next part two will drop on Wednesday if you're listening to it as it goes live. So anyways, we'll actually have three episodes this week. Hope you guys enjoy this and here we go. Let's get started. All right, guys, welcome back to the MVM show. I'm Titus, your host, and um, I'm actually really, really stoked about this uh, podcast today. Um, we had some plans to do this sooner, but just things got jumbled up and time frames and everything. But today we're here with Jimmy Moeller from uh, Moeller Chokes, and uh, I'm really excited to dig in. You guys know that I've been getting my 20 gauge, tried to dial in, and after talking to Jimmy, I think I might be going through all my guns with his chokes now a very tons of knowledge and um i've i've know i talked to him a little bit about a year ago through facebook messenger and then 
um, watching Joel Strickland's, which is one of my buddies. You guys know I've had him on the podcast, uh, Surviving Duck Season. His uh, videos on the pattern test videos, which he's done a phenomenal job at, um, he was on there. Jimmy was on there, and they had their chokes, and you could just tell, like, everything that you knew what you were doing, Jimmy. So I appreciate you coming on this podcast. Thank you for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome, Tess. I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So why don't we just dig right in and start letting you do the talk and can let's go over your background, just like growing up and, you know, where you're from and all that stuff, your childhood. Yeah, so I grew up in Connecticut, um, right there for people I know at the Remington Gun Club here in Lordship, Connecticut, Lordship Stratford. It's right here in my backyard. And um, I'm on 900 acre salt marsh here called Nelds Island. And so I basically started duck hunting in 1975. I was, uh, well, pretty much six years old and, um, shot my first green wing teal flying with a 410 side by side when I was five. And, uh, you know, it was really cool. So I was basically born with a red rider in one hand and a fishing rod in the other. <laughs> and, uh, so all these years spent, you know, duck hunting and everything else in the marsh here as well as pheasant hunting, grouse hunting, woodcock, you know, turkey, you name it, squirrels, doves, everything. I uh, fast forward to like 1990 and I was really struggling to hit stuff flying. And uh, which was really funny because I was really good with a rifle, but with a shotgun, even though my dad and my brother were like master wing shooters, I had a lot of trouble hitting anything flying. So my dad had always, you know, grilled into me, start behind it, pass it, pull a trigger and shoot in front of it, shoot in front of it. Mm -hmm. So I would like empty my gun and, you know, my brother, and my father would laugh and then they'd kill everything, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, I, it's just ain't cool. I got to figure this out, you know? So in 1993, I heard about sporting clays and wanting to be a better wing shooter. I basically just jumped in and um, entered a, a shoot called the Jeep Claybird Classics. It was uh, at Orva Sandinone in New York. And uh, I had my Remington 870 Wingmaster with a fixed full choke and entered the shoot. And I think I shot a 57 out of 100. And I ended up winning the class I was in. I won a beautiful Ducks Unlimited frame print. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is awesome. So I got hooked on that and immediately dove into it with both feet. And, uh, you know, needless to say, after about one year of shooting sporting clays, my wing shooting got a lot better. And um, in that time, I learned a lot about chokes, shotgunning, ammo. And what I came to realize quickly was that choke tubes were really lacking. And um, what I did was when I decided that I wanted to really be competitive in sporting clays, I wanted to buy the best of everything. So I went out, I bought a nice over and under shotgun. It was actually Weatherby Orion. Um, I bought uh, choke tubes from one of the top choke manufacturers in the world. Um, one of the most well-known. And I bought a bunch of other gear, shooting vests, researched all different ammo, you know, and that. And when I got going, I realized that you know, the two modified chokes that I had bought from this top company, they were patterning entirely different. You know, I could see it in the way targets were breaking, like some targets would break like really hard and other ones would barely break. 
and I'm talking like the same target out of the same station, you know, mm. just different barrels. So make a long story short, I went home and I patterned these two modified chokes that I had bought. And um, it turned out that one gave a skeet pattern and one was like a full choke pattern based wow. on, you know, definition of pattern, which I could talk to you about days about mm -hmm. how it's uh, pretty much obsolete and not real and not true that we all go by, but we'll get into that. And um, I couldn't figure out why these two chokes patterned so differently. So the only thing that made sense being an aerospace defense manufacturer was that they probably laser and etched them wrong. You know, they were both marked modified, but they probably measured five thousands for one of them, like a skeet, and one was probably closer to thirty thousands for a full, based on how I was getting patterns. And uh, I went in the shop the next day and I miked them, and they both measured twenty thousands from my bore, which is indeed modified, right? So that just blew me away. So I go back to the patterning board the next day. I swap barrels. I change the chokes back and forth. I change distances. I change all different ammo. And I'm getting the same exact results pretty much, right? One is like a skeet and one is like a full. So I can't figure out what's going on. So I take the chokes out of the barrels and I'm thinking maybe it's the barrels and the shotgun. So I shoot the shotgun with threads, you know, no chokes. And they both pattern very similar. The barrels were spot on. You know, obviously the patterns were very big, but they were very uniform and very consistent mm. barrel to barrel. So I put the chokes back on and repeated the process from 15 to 40 yards and got the same results, skeet to full choke, right? So I go in the shop the next day and I start measuring all the geometries, the cylindricity, straightness, concentricity, squareness. I measured the surface finish with a profilometer. And what I found was that the two chokes had totally different geometries. Like one choke was out of round more than the other. The gasker clearance was more on one than the other. The surface finish on the taper and parallel were different by a lot. Um, the parallel length and the taper lengths were different also. Um, hence the reason the gasker clearance was different, right? Is if the, the taper diameter is, is larger, the taper length is going to be longer. So I realized that the geometries in the choke was exactly what was creating the patterns, not so much the exit diameter. And when I realized that the geometries were actually more indicative or more responsible to the patterns than the actual exit diameter, I realized that choke tubes were not really choke tubes um, the way they'd been defined all this time. Mm. Because everybody to this day even goes by thousandths of an inch constriction or exit diameter. And really, those two things are grossly secondary to the geometry inside the choke. And furthermore, what I came to realize was that every gun shoots totally different. So if you take choke tubes out, all the chokes, um, if you take all the choke tubes out of all the guns in the industry and you pattern them with no choke, they all pattern very differently. So how can you put the same choke in all of them and say it's it's X? You can't. It's mm. not real. It's not true. And that's what everybody does. So, you know, back in the day when they defined choke constriction and choke patterning and choke, they basically said, you know, at 40 yards, a 30 inch circle, 70% of your pellets inside that 30 inch circle is defined as a full choke, 
60% of modified, 50% improved cylinder and so on, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's not even accurate or real because if you just change the velocity of the shell, that percentage is going to entirely change, even if you don't change the choke or the gun or anything else. So just by changing one variable, you're changing the entire definition of that choke. Mm. So choke doesn't even matter the way that it's designated. Okay. If you'll excuse my voice, because I'm a little sick right now, unfortunately. But what had happened when I realized this back then, I started doing huge amounts of testing. I went crazy. I basically grabbed onto every shotgun that I could get a hold of, which ended up being 26 different shotguns with 13 different bore diameters. I bought choke tubes from every choke company that was made. I got every single ammo that I, that you could imagine. My brother worked at Remington arms back in the fifties and sixties. So I have some of that ammo still to this day. Mm. I tested that along with all the top brand ammos and target shooting and hunting and you name it. Mm. And what I came to realize is that choke tubes were made one specific geometry from every single company, from every single gun. And what that created was if you found one magic ammo for that one magic gun, for that one magic choke, you had a pretty good combination. Mm -hmm. The moment you changed any one of those things, the pattern was totally different. So like, even these days, when you buy a choke tube, there's a lot of companies that say you can't shoot steel through anything tighter than the modified, or you cannot shoot, you know, like a flight stripper wad, like a black cloud wad or a certain wad out of a certain choke. There's always limitations. Mm. And one of the things that always drove me crazy as a, a clay target competitor and a hunter was the fact that there were limitations on choke tubes based on what ammo you could put through them. And personally, as an aerospace defense manufacturer and a ballistics expert, I just found that to be ridiculous because there's really no need for that. And there's no reason for that to be. The only reason that is, is because choke companies preheat treat their material to a soft hardness, which is softer than your barrels for ease of machinability. So it's good for them, but it's not good for the end user, us being the hunter. And what they do is they spin them out of screw machines. They electro etch them or laser engrave them, and then they sell them to you. And then they come with all these different, you know, uh, limitations. Mm -hmm. So, so I fixed all that. So going back to the whole creation of this, you know, when I started out in the clay target sports, I ended up having to buy 10 modified chokes from that top company to find two chokes that would actually give me mm. um, acceptable modified patterns. Mm -hmm. And when the other eight chokes, when they did not do that, and I measured them and found that the geometries were all messed up, I contacted the company and the owner told me I bought them, I owned them, mm. and he hung up on me. So I was like, all right, great. So I just spent every dollar I had, you know, I was living with my parents at the time making like seven bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. I spent every dollar I had on these 10 choke tubes just to get to the pattern. Right. And then the guy told me I bought them. I owned them. Right. So I basically threw them away. 
and I went in a machine shop the next day. I made my own and uh, I never looked back. And mm-hmm. that's what got me into making choke tubes. Wow. And then um, by the time 2008 came along, I had already had my own machine shop and uh, I was in aerospace defense. Everything was rolling along good. And I had had these two feather light choke tubes I had made for my own advantage for clay target competition. I was a master class competitor at the time. And um, when the economy tanked in 2008, I lost all 51 customers in aerospace. So I was like, well, I need something to help pay the bills. And I said, I know I've got the best choke in the world because I fixed every problem they have. So let me patent it, bring it out of the closet and see if it'll help pay the bills. Mm. And uh, that's exactly what I did. And the moment that I basically brought the choke out and started selling some people, it basically went viral and um, and literally, you know, locked up Shotgun World's forum and um, went crazy. So mm. then what happened was I started started going from all of that right on to um, manufacturing choke tubes in my machine shop and make a long story short. I was working 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And I started going on back order. I just couldn't keep up with the orders and uh, it just went really, really crazy. And I was very blessed with it. And uh, the things I learned about chokes and ballistics of shotgunning was like nothing that had ever been talked about or taught. And even to this day, most people don't know the things that I learned. And uh, that's why I brought my chokes out. And that's why I spend time trying to help people and teach them about shotgunning ballistics, because it's a huge dumpster of worms that uh, many people don't know. And a lot of people are doing the exact opposite of what they should be doing because we've been listening to marketing hype from ammo companies, mm-hmm. choke companies, shotgun companies. And most of the hype we've been hearing is all false and um, mostly opposite of what we should be doing. Mm. So you have, <clears throat> I'm obviously from what you're doing, you must have a, a few degrees under your belt then it sounds like. Yeah. I, uh, I spent a, you know, over two and a half years time developing those feather light patented chokes for clay targets. I fired 12,000 rounds on paper, mud, water, moving targets, live birds, you name it. And, uh, those 12,000 rounds I fired, they were through, like I said, 26 different guns, 13 bore diameters through every choke you can imagine every ammo you can imagine, even numerous ammunitions that are not even in business anymore. And, um, I, I learned a tremendous amount hmm. and, uh, I learned, I learned what was actual factual and what was just myth. Can you talk to us about <clears throat> what you had, were saying to me on the phone about when you first initially have this gun, let, let's say my 20 gauge Franke affinity, and I'm going to get ready to pattern this gun, the process that you do for that, because something you said in there as something I thought was, truth but you're saying it's a myth about the threads and shooting a gun without a choke fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way 
Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, so, so basically, one thing I always teach people is you can shoot through a, a barrel with no choking at all. Um, you know, there's been a myth over the years where people said, oh, you cannot take a choke out of a barrel and shoot through it because you'll ding your threads, ruin your barrel. That's impossible. Um, physically impossible because basically your bore diameter, your shotgun is almost an eighth of an inch smaller than the choke area. There's no, there's no possible way a pellet could move 90 degrees out of your bore in the length of two inches and hit a thread when it's going, you know, mm-hmm. 1100 feet per second or faster. It's absolutely impossible. The, those pellets don't actually start to even move out of the wad until they're, you know, many inches from the front of the barrel. So that's all myth. Um, the reason that back in the day, people sort of claim that their chokes wouldn't go in after they had shot threads is because they would go out to a sporting clay course, take the choke out of the gun and go shoot a hundred rounds and uh, then go put the gun away in their gun cabinet and all of the carbon would harden up that was inside the threads. And it would basically just be hard dirt. And then when they went to put their choke tube back in, it was very tight and they immediately thought that they damaged their threads, which was a myth. They did not damage their threads. They were just filled up with dirty carbon and because they let the gun sit, it hardened. Mm. So you could shoot your gun with no choking at all you want. You'll never damage the threads. Just uh, clean your gun before you put it away. That's all. Um, so what I tell people to do, and this is especially important for over and under, under um, over and under owners, as well as side by side owners, um, single barreled guns are usually pretty good as far as straightness goes and accuracy. But when companies solder barrels together on an over and under or a side by side, a lot of times you end up with a lot of uh, barrel moving where where it actually influences the movement of the barrel when the soldering is hardening or from the heating of of the barrels to do the soldering, um, to do the rib placement. Um, so what happens is you take the choke, what you do is you take the choke out of the gun set up a target about 15 yards away and uh, draw a dot on it and aim at the dot like a rifle and just fire five shots at it. Um, Don't use just one shot because there are a lot of varying factors that take place. uh, Sorry to to jump in here. How big of a, you said a paper, like how big of a paper do you think you should, someone should uh, use? 
you know, a, cu- a couple feet okay. um, square. Okay. You know, you could, you could use four feet square, but, okay. you know, at 15 yards with no choke in the gun, you're going to end up covering about, um, you know, 24 to 32 inches, depending on the gun and the ammo you use. Okay. Sorry to cut you off. I just so, wanted to ask that just out of curiosity. Yeah. So, you know, 36 inches is probably, you know, a good size. Okay. 48 inches, anywhere in there. Okay. Um, but 15 yards is a pretty close distance. Um, so it won't be too open and it'll give you enough distance to have some type of accuracy. Okay. Um, so fire five shots at the dot, look at where your point of impact is. You'll be able to see it very clearly. And then, um, put your choke tube in and repeat the exact same process. And obviously your pattern is going to be a lot tighter with a choke in it, regardless of what you choose. Same distance um, too. Same distance. Okay. Yep. Just to make sure that all criteria is the same. So okay. there's no margin of error and uh, your point of impact should still be the same. So like if you took the choke out of the gun and it looked like your point of impact was a little high and left, let's say a few inches when you put the choke in, your pattern, your center of your point of impact should still be that same amount high and left, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If it's way different, then you know that choke tube is off. Okay. Um, and that's that's the reason we go through this. Mm-hmm. So if a choke tube is machined out of square, eccentric, not cylindrical, basically not straight, it will create a different point of impact when you put it in the gun. And this is really important to know because I've seen it way more times than you could imagine. And we buy these choke tubes. Some of them are aftermarket chokes. They're expensive. We put them in the gun. We go out. Our averages go way down. Our hit to miss ratio goes way down. Our cripple ratio goes up. We don't understand what's happening. And we just think that the choke is not patterning good. Well, a lot of times they aren't patterning the way we want them to, but Another reason is a lot of times our point of impact did change because the choke tube was not machined properly and we have no idea that's happening. Mm. So this is something really important for you to check. And in my opinion, the best thing that comes out of shooting a piece of paper with a shotgun is your point of impact testing. Mm -hmm. Um, Patterning on paper is only two dimensional. And I'll be honest with you, it doesn't show you much of anything. A lot of people, it's the only thing that we can do as hunters or shooters to sort of, you know, pattern our combination is shoot paper. Mm-hmm. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't tell you much of anything. And the reason for that, I could give you examples all day long, but there have been many times when I would create a geometry in a choke or I would have another choke from another company and I would shoot it on paper and it would look pretty picture perfect. And I'd be like, man, this thing's going to be awesome. And I would go shoot a bird on the water at 30 yards and it would just sit there and look at me. There would be pellets all around the bird. Like I threw them by hand. It was horrible. Mm. The shot string was horribly long. It was like shooting a, a torpedo at something. I mean, there were pellets 30 yards above the bird and 20 yards under the bird. You know, it was like horrific and the bird didn't even get hit. It just sat there. Mm. And then I've had patterns that look that they were not going to perform good on paper. And I did the same exact test on the water. And it was like you threw an M80 in the water and a bird was stone dead. Mm. You know, it was explosive. And so I went through a lot of testing trying to figure out why 
is that? You know, why why does it look good on paper, mm -hmm. but I can't kill a duck on the water at 30 right. yards with it, right? Or even 25 yards. And why does this one look not so good on paper, but it's explosive on a bird on the water at 25, 30 yards? And what it came down to was shot strength. So a lot of people do talk about shot strength not mattering. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, a lot of companies claim that they had the shortest shot string in the industry, which was proven to not be true um, because there was no way to prove it back in the day until, you know, now there is. Um, Joel Strickland surviving duck season proved that um, with the phantom high speed camera. He showed shot strings and, and what it does. And he brought up a very valid point that on a bird flying in the air, shot string length does not matter. It truly does not. Because basically, even with the longest shot string that he tested, which was approximately 30 feet long, if I remember, from the front pellet to the back pellet, it only took one one hundredth of a second for the entire shot string length to pass past a duck, right? Mm. So that means for the shot string to matter physically, you know, in physics or, or scientifically speaking, the duck would have to be doing like, several hundred miles per hour for the shot string to matter. Hmm. Okay. So for us in layman's terms, shot string length means nothing on a flying bird. The fact is you're either going to hit it or you're not. Hmm. Okay. Because that one, one hundredth of a second of travel is, is nano seconds compared to feet and lead. Right. That, so, being, that being said, then, before you continue on, I want to ask this question real quick before I forget it. So yeah. feet per second on shells, then, does that not really matter so much as much as we may think it does? So so I'll explain that exactly. So feet per second velocity matters tremendously okay. for a couple different reasons, okay? So, so basically, before we leave the subject, yeah. so, so shot string length doesn't matter on a flying target. But shot string length does matter on a horizontal plane. Okay. So if you have a crippled bird or you're, you're sluicing birds on the water or, you know, you're shooting birds on the water or on the ground in a cornfield, the shorter the shot string, the more efficient it's going to be on killing that bird because you're going to be throwing a, a pancake on the bird versus a very long string, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to be putting a lot more targets on the bird versus not. So that that's where shot string matters, right? If right. you're shooting on a horizontal plane. Right. Um, in regards to velocity, the reason that velocity is critically important to talk about and understand is because we've been force fed, you know, all this hyper velocity speed kills mm -hmm. slogan jargon stuff, which is false. The only thing speed kills is your neck and your wallet and your patterns. It doesn't <laughs> kill birds. Okay. Okay. So if you start out with something really fast, which I consider to be faster than 1350 feet per second. Mm. Okay. I, I prefer 1200 feet per second. Mm. I don't care if that's steel, lead, bismuth, tungsten, heavy shot. I don't care what material it is. I prefer 1200 feet per second across the board. Um, but if you're going to, if you're going to put in a shotgun and you're going to claim that it's efficient for hunting, 1350 is my max, okay. right? And 1350 on bismuth 
um, tungsten, it works really well. 1350 on lead is not so good. 1350 on steel and faster is not good at all. And the reason being is the faster it starts out, the faster it slows down and the faster it spreads out. Newton's third law, right? So basically, if you're standing in a pool of water and you slide your hand under the water, it's it's nice and easy, right? Mm. But if you raise your hand up above your head and you slap the water, that's the same thing that happens with ammo, leaving the muzzle at hyper velocity. So if you start out really fast, it slows down really fast and it spreads out really fast. Mm. So if you want to shoot something at really extended distance, the key to it is to start with a slower velocity with a heavy payload. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's going to give you an efficient pattern at distance. If you want to shoot something really close, like inside 25 yards and you don't want to lead it much at all, then by all means, go ahead and shoot 1550 because it's going to get there the moment you touch the trigger and it's going to spread out as much as possible to give you a big margin of error, right? Mm. The problem is the moment you exceed that 25 yard mark, it starts to slow down very quickly and it's spreading out very fast. So the moment, by the time you get to 35, 45, 55 yards, the pattern that started out very fast has already died off with energy. And you've probably only got 30 to 50% of your pattern reaching the target mm. rather than a hundred percent of your pattern reaching the target with a slower velocity. Mm. So yeah, that, very, and that makes sense because with still, uh, and not saying I shoot this far very often, but like say at 40 yards, if you're shooting at a mallard with still, that's 1500 feet per second. That explains why sometimes it, you can see it just hit all over them and they shake, but they keep going versus when you're shooting i mean it, that's kind of obvious but i mean when when you're shooting like bismuth the penetrations there and the speed yep. okay i see what you're saying yeah it re, that's it, that retain, makes sense. it retains its velocity yeah. therefore retains its energy yeah you know like like weight translates that energy because it retains velocity mm -hmm. right so if a steel pellet retained its velocity at 60 yards it would retain its lethality right mm -hmm but it doesn't. So it can't. So the reason that bismuth is better is because it's heavier than steel yeah. said and done. The reason that lead's better than bismuth is because it's heavier than bismuth said and done. Right. Yeah. The reason TSS is better than anything we've ever imagined is because it's almost twice as heavy as lead. Yeah. So, so TSS makes lead look like 10, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, you know, if we can afford it, you know, TSS is pretty incredible, but at the same time, and I, I don't mean to jump all over here. No, the no, thing is, it's such, I mean, there's such a vast thing speaking about ballistics, right? That it, it's hard to like talk about one thing, but seeing that you mentioned steel and bismuth and now I'm mentioning TSS, the one thing that really drives me crazy, I guess you want to say is when I see people spending, you know, 10 or $15 a shot on TSS and they're shooting at stuff at 25 yards and then, you know, posting all over how they, they destroyed the bird and it was amazing. And it's like, you know what, why are you shooting at birds at 25 yards with TSS and why are you shooting a full choke at the same time? Mm -hmm. But, 
you know, I don't want to go off on a rant, but the reason it drives me crazy is because people have been brainwashed so much into all this um, false marketing that we've lost all aspect of fact, you know? So like I've been hunting since 75. So I shot a lot of ducks with lead. Mm -hmm. I also went through the whole lead and steel shot phase, right? Mm -hmm. Conversion, the transition went through that whole thing. I still have all that steel ammo Mm -hmm. and I still use it to this day testing um, through my chokes, other chokes and everything else. And, you know, steel shot wasn't the problem. It was the choke back in the day. Hmm. Um, and, and I can prove that, you know, but the thing is steel shot like bismuth and lead shot and even TSS, everything has limitations. So the way we decide what those limitations are is based on how we test, right? So the more we do, the more we learn and the more we test. So that's why they say you've got to do something 10,000 hours to become a master at it, right? It takes a long time to figure things out. So upon doing a lot of testing with steel, bismuth, lead, tungsten, and every other material known to man under the sun, um, you know, I've learned what the limitations are and I've learned why those limitations are. And a lot of limitations with steel shot and bismuth have to do with the choke in the gun and velocity and payload and pellet size, right? Mm -hmm. So over the years, what we've gotten away from was shooting small pellets. We've gotten away from shooting heavy payloads and we've gotten away from shooting slow velocities. So what we've done is we've gone to larger pellets we've gone to lighter payloads and we've gone to higher velocities. Those three things are the worst things you can do in a shotgun. So the bigger the pellet, the less pellets you have. Now the pellet is the thing that kills the bird, right? Mm -hmm. Not the air. Mm -hmm. So the less pellets you have, the more spaces you have between the pellets and the bigger the spaces become. Mm So the bigger the pellet, the less pellets, the bigger the spaces, and the less pellets are going to be hitting the target. Mm. The less tar- the less pellets to hit the target, the less chances you have of hitting a vital. There's only three vitals in a bird, the head, the neck, the heart. That's it, mm. right? I mean, the lungs, all right? But you really only have a few small vitals on a bird. Yep. And that does not mean wings, butt, beak, right? <laughs> yeah. It means just those other things. Mm-hmm. And if we start going bigger with pellets, we start hitting the bird with less pellets. We start increasing velocity, which spreads out those pellets, which means now the spaces between those pellets are even bigger than they should be. Mm. And then we go with um, lighter payload, we've got even less pellets. So big pellet, less pellets, light payload, less pellets, faster velocity, bigger spaces between those pellets. Okay. Okay. So those are the three things we do not want in shotgunning, but it's what everybody is doing, right? Most people, Mm -hmm. most ammo companies are doing that. 
And most hunters are going that route when it comes to steel shot, especially. Can you give a definition? Like just give one, not that you have to say the com uh, company, but like, can you explain the load you're talking about exactly? Like the size, the yeah. gauge, the load. Yeah. So let's say a three and a half inch ounce and uh, let's see, inch and three eighths ounce and a quarter steel BB at 1550 feet okay. per second. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely worthless load. You might as well shoot them with steel sixes. Mm. Okay. Because you know what? The steel sixes, you'd probably kill them better. Yeah. To be honest with you. Um, BB is the worst load that was ever put into a shotgun shell being steel. Mm. Okay. Lead BB, that was a different world. Okay. Mm. But steel BB and steel triple B, the only reason that people that like BB in steel is because they started knocking birds down at farther distances because they broke a wing mm -hmm. because the BB had enough weight to break a bone. Yep. Um, not because they're killing birds. And here's the reasoning behind that. You basically need a hundred pellets in a 30 inch circle to reliably kill a duck. All right. Okay. And yeah, you could at, argue at what, well, at what distance? Uh, any distance. Oh, okay. Any distance. So, okay. so basically, you want rule of thumb is you want a hundred pellets in a thirty-inch circle to be very efficient at killing a duck. Okay. Doesn't matter what distance that is. Okay. More pellets than that, you're going to hit the bird way too hard, and less pellets than that, you have a chance of not hitting a vital. Okay. So, the problem with something like a BB is that you're starting out with like a hundred pellets or less in the shell before you even pull a trigger, yeah. you're at a deficiency. Yeah. And inside 25 yards, well, we'll even go to 30. Inside 30 yards, you're going to have a pretty deadly pattern with BBs. But why are you shooting BBs inside 30 yards? Right. There's no reason for it. You should be shooting like sixes. So, so the reason that BBs are inefficient is the only time that we really would want a BB is past 50 yards and past 50 yards, go shoot paper at 50 yards with any BB load, with any choke in the market through any gun, you're going to have so few pellets on the paper that you're not going to kill anything with it. Hmm. You know? So that's the reason that I say BB is one of the most worthless loads ever put in a shotgun shell. Hmm. There's no use for it. There really isn't. So if we could get back to smaller pellets with higher payloads um, and slower velocities, our hit to miss ratio will go through the roof. Our cripple ratio will be almost non-existent. And if we do have a cripple and we need to shoot it, we're going to kill with one shot, not 10, and then have to go chase it. Right. Which so in, in turn, if you're shooting more expensive, and we've talked about this so much on our podcast, if you're shooting more expensive ammo, Technically, you're saving because you're not shooting so many at cripples. That's true. That's okay. True. So, we, we are, so are you saying like? Because um, I actually, I'm, I'm a real big. I like sixes for as far as like still. But are you saying like what would be a, a prime uh, six shot load for a twelve gauge? What would that look like to you? So if I if I had my number one pick. When it comes to steel, to shot, steel, yes, two and three quarter inch ounce and three uh, ounce and a quarter at one thousand two hundred seventy five feet per second. 
Wow. It's the best steel patterning load ever made. There's only one company that makes it, and that's Remington Nitro Steel. Hmm. Okay. They made it in sixes, fours, and twos. Do they still make okay. it? Yes. Okay. So if you're going to shoot steel shot and you want to shoot two and three quarter inch and you want to shoot ducks and knock them down dead, that's the load you want to use. Um, if I could get my hands on three inch, it's going to be ounce and three eighths and it's going to be 1300 feet per second. And there's only four companies that make that. It's Remington Nitro Steel, Kent Fast Steel, Rio Blue Steel, and uh, Winchester Dry Lock. Mm. Those are the only ounce and three-eighths, three-inch loads at 1,300 feet per second in the entire world. Mm. And what I'm going to use for shot size is going to be number fours, number threes, and number twos. And I'm going to use the number fours on all my puddle duck hunting only because they don't make sixes in that three inch load. Okay. If they did, I'd be using sixes on a lot of my puddle duck hunting, okay. especially wood ducks, ring necks, teal, uh, you know, anything of that sort, widgeon, gadwall. Um, but they don't make a six, not that I know of unless they've changed things. So I use, Three inch ounce and three eighths at 1300. Number four is on all my puddle ducks. That is going to be inside 40 yards. And then if I'm going to be hunting seed ducks, meaning eider, scoter, old squaw, I'm going to go to number threes or twos. And then if I'm hunting geese, I'm going to just stick with twos for the most part. Not because I can't kill them with fours, but because I don't know if I'm going to be shooting them in my face or if I'm going to be shooting them at 50 yards. So I just use twos so for what, the most part. Why does that change it if they're in your face or farther with still? So if I know that I'm going to be shooting geese inside 30 yards, I'm just going to be shooting my steel fours okay. all the time because it's like throwing a blanket on them. Mm -hmm. But the foot pounds of energy of a steel number four is not going to retain at 40, 50 yards for a goose penetration. So I you mean, would go. So you would go to twos for that reason. Yes. So that will retain its energy better. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. Hmm. So you wow. know, last year I I posted some shot cam <clears throat> videos, and I've been doing it for many years, but the last few years I started posting shot cam videos to try to help people mm -hmm. because you know, let's face it, I could sit here and talk all I want, right? right? But but until you truly see it on your in your own um, personally, you don't really believe it. Right. Mm -hmm. Perception is our reality. So, right. so if we perceive something to work or not work, it's going to either work or not work. Right. Mm -hmm. So the reason that I post shot cam videos is so I could try to teach people and let them see what the actual results are. And last year, my wife and I were out old squaw hunting and I brought a few different loads with me. And, you know, I basically, my wife had her 20 gauge with the decoy choke and I had my A400 with my passing choke in and uh, I brought several loads with me and she was at the time she was shooting boss two and three quarter inch uh, legendary fives through the decoy choke and she was killing old squaw at 42 yards stone dead with a range finder.
And you could see the pattern on the water was very efficient, very uniform and very capable at 42 yards. Mm. Well, I happen to have some steel threes in ounce and three eighths at 1250 feet per second. And, um, which I had hand loaded that I was testing and an old squad had come by at about 50 yards and I told my wife, go ahead and shoot. And, uh, she shot and she hit it and, um, it skittered across the water and dove and came up at 68 yards. And I had steel threes in the gun and I'm like, well, I'm a little too lazy right now to take it out and put one of my TSS sevens in to blow the bird up, which I know I'll do at 68 yards. Wow. I'm just going to shoot this steel three at it. Cause I want to see what it looks like on the water with the shot cam anyway, mm-hmm. at 68 yards. So I, I range found the bird before I shot at it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I know it was 68 yards. Mm-hmm. And, um, I shot that bird at 68 yards with those steel threes and that bird was dead, stone dead. There were hardly any spaces between the pellets bigger than a bird. And, um, it was pretty amazing to see, Wow! you know, people, people say that you can't kill birds with steel shot past 35 yards. And they tell you all these things. Well, it's not, it's not true. And the reason it's not true is because I've proven otherwise to myself mm-hmm. and I, I've proven it to others. But the thing about steel shot is it's really hard to be able to make it perform terminally at that distance because everybody loads it too darn fast and it just blows the patterns out. So you're not hitting the duck. So if you're not hitting the duck, you can't kill it, right? Right. And if you are hitting it with one or two pellets, you're not killing the duck, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest culprit of ammo these days. Now, moving to the next thing, bismuth. The reason that bismuth well, is better. Well, hold, hold on a second. Sorry, Jim. I hate to cut you off there. I got no, two right. questions out of that last thing you said. So, yep. um, oh, man, I knew I was going to do that. So one, one of the questions was, I do remember, was if still, when you say you shoot it fast, it slows. It, so it comes out fast, but it slows down quicker. I, I guess maybe I shouldn't even ask this. This might be too deep of a question, but why slow? So I understand that part because that's what you're saying. So I believe what you're saying, but now you slow still down. Why? How is that retaining? I guess you'd have to get too technical and scientific to explain that probably, huh? Like why, why no, is I, that slowing down? trying to ask. Yeah, yeah. Like if it's slower then why, why is it not dying off just as quicker, quicker? So, so here's the answer. So the velocity is not, the the terminal velocity the the steel slowing down quicker starting out faster is not the biggest problem the velocity the speed of the pellet traveling is not the main issue mm. the main issue of the fast velocity is the pattern blowing open too okay. quickly okay and not hitting the bird with enough pellets and let me explain that so i've been shooting a pellet gun well i've been shooting a, a red rider BB gun since I was four years old. Right. Mm -hmm. And if, if I could take everything I killed with that red rider and, you know, basically put it in a room, 
it probably wouldn't fit in this room that I'm sitting in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sitting in my living room here, my dining room. Right. So the velocity of that red rider is 365 feet per second. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. No problem. So 365 feet per second. Right. Let's say that again. That's a steel BB. It measures 180 thousandths in diameter, right? Um, a steel BB that you shoot in your shotgun shell measures 177, right? So basically it's the same diameter. So we'll just call it a steel BB for argument's sake. So a steel BB traveling at 365 feet per second out of a Red Rider BB gun that you could actually see it leave the barrel mm -hmm. and see it hit the target. Mm -hmm. I could kill a squirrel at 25 yards with it. So why do you need a steel BB to travel at 1,550 feet per second to kill a duck? Mm -hmm. You don't. Okay. So it's all marketing hype. So going back, it's not about, it's not about hitting the bird with a fast traveling BB. It's the fact of hitting the bird in the vitals with a bb period okay. okay you only need a couple hundred feet per second to penetrate the vitals of a bird but the problem is you need to hit the vitals of the bird yep okay and by traveling really fast you're spreading your bbs out so far you're not hitting the bird so mm -hmm. that's where velocity is not your friend okay okay, okay? so that's the main main point oh. of the velocity okay. so basically if if you take um, if you take a steel pellet or a bismuth pellet or a lead pellet or a TSS pellet, you don't need velocity to kill a bird. You just need pellets on the bird. Mm -hmm. Okay. And for the most part, we want it to be on the front of the bird, right? If we hit it in the head, the neck, the, yes. the breast, we have the highest percentage of lethality. Mm -hmm. If you shoot the bird in the back end, I don't care if you're shooting a 30 off six, you're probably not going to kill it immediately. Right. Yeah. You're just going to blow the back end of the bird off. So, so we really need to focus on, first of all, marksmanship, right? We mm -hmm. need to get on the front of the bird. Okay. And I say that for reasons I've hunted with a lot of people in yeah. my life. Yeah. Right. So we need to get on the front of the bird. Second of all, we need to put enough pellets on the bird to kill a bird. And the reason um, the way we do that is by increasing the weight of the payload, increasing the amount of pellets, which means smaller shot size, not bigger. And we need to reduce the velocity so it doesn't spread out so soon. On, so, on still specifically, right? It probably more, but on, on, on all ammo, on all ammo, it okay. doesn't matter. Okay. You know, like, like when you get into, when you get into lead and TSS, things become less critical. Okay. And the reason I say that is just because the the sheer grams per cubic centimeter of weight mm -hmm. it doesn't like to spread out as quickly or easily as steel. Okay. Right? Okay. So so you can push it a little faster and get away with more, but it's still not good. There's no reason for it. You know, increased velocity increases recoil, increases muzzle jump increases the amount of time it takes for our our equilibrium to regain its stabilization for the second follow-up shot. You don't know how many people have come to me and said, 
Hey, Jim, how come I shoot my 410 better than my 12 gauge? <laughs> I'm like, well, what ammo are you shooting out of your 12 gauge? Oh, I'm shooting, you know, ounce and an eighth at 1390. And I'm like, well, maybe you should try uh, ounce one ounce at 1200, you know, or 1145. Um, it all comes down to recoil, man. Okay. And, and opening the pattern. I, uh, the first time that I experienced this was back in 1993. I was on a sporting clay course. It was a championship tournament. I was a beginner shooter, but I had a couple professionals in front of me that were actual shooting instructors. And, um, they were talking, there was a 60 yard crosser. And then on report, there was a target that was about 18 yards away in front of us, ripping through a small window crossing. You had a very small window to shoot that target. It was close and fast. Back in the day, people shot Winchester double A's. The gray hull was called the silver bullet. They were fast. And the red one was 1145 feet per second, right? Mm -hmm. So Charlie was in front of me and he said, to his teammate, he said, shoot the red one at the far one and shoot the silver bullet at the, at the close one. Well, to me, that was backwards, right? Because he was telling his buddy to shoot the fast shell at the close target and the slow shell at the far target. So I thought that he made a mistake when he told his buddy that. Well, I watched them crush every single target on that station. Mm. And when I watched them eject the shells out of their over and under, I saw that they were shooting the slow shell at the far one and the fast one at the close one. So I was like, wait, what's going on? Right. So I stopped them up ahead at the next station when they were done shooting. And I asked them about it. And that's when Charlie explained it to me. He said, the shells that are really fast spread out really fast. And on a close target, they get there really quickly. So you don't have to lead the target a lot and it spreads out really fast. So you have a better chance of hitting a close <laughs> target. He said, but on a far target, you want it to start out slow. So it stays together. And so that all your pellets make it to the target. <laughs> and I said, well, what about lead on the far target? If it starts out slow and he basically laughed and said, there's no difference. So, really? Yeah. See, that was the, so, that was one of the questions that I was going to ask you. Well, yeah. one of, the first one was just you can answer this quick, and then I'll ask you the next one. Where can we see those people listening and myself? Where can we see those videos of your shot cam videos? Is that on your Facebook page? Um, they're not on my Facebook page. I would like to put them. I mean, I shouldn't say they're not. Yes, I have some on my Facebook page. I put some on Hardcore Waterfowler and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but you know, I it's hard to put them on other pages because they don't like you doing that because yeah. they look at it as promoting your product. Mm. I'm not doing to promote my product. I'm doing it to help people. And it's my best way of getting it out there to the different people. Yeah. But they look at it as marketing. So it's hard for me to be able to do that. Okay. So I do have some on my Facebook page. I will be putting more on. Um, if you need any, I could certainly email them to you. Yeah. But I, it's yeah. really eye opening. <laughs> 